Hello everyone, welcome to episode 506 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. This season we're chatting with the performers of the Cold Waves 5 Festival in Chicago September 23rd and 24th at Metro. This year's festival is led by Meet Beat Manifesto, The Cox, Clock TVA, The Black Queen, and more. For full lineup details including the Thursday pre-show and post-show DJ sets at Smart Bar, head to coldwaves.net. This week we chat with Mark Heal. This is Cuban League.
the year was uh, 1992. Uh, well, it was even kind of earlier, really. Um, there was uh, something was stirring in London and the sort of scene was coming together, really. I was signed, actually. I was signed to uh, one of the Music for Nations imprints in my, my old band, which was the kind of my band from the 80s, really, which I'd sort of toured with Gary Newman in. And I was kind of coming to the end of that, really, and I, I didn't really know where to take it. And then... Um, I was hanging out with a guy called Graham Rayner. We were going down to like Slime Light in the early days and a club called The Hard Club in Gossips and, and they were playing Nitzareb and Clock DVA and 242 and things like that. And I was like, this is great. I should be doing this. And and, and so, you know, Graham was briefly in, in my old, old band and then he's, he's you know, he, he got together with um, with Phil. And, and when I saw Phil, I thought, because the other thing that was happening was grunge and I was really reappraising rock really because rock during the 80s was just, well, kind of towards the end of the 80s was just awful really. And, and then because that sort of Seattle thing turned it lo-fi and kind of cool again, I thought, look, these, you know, electronic sounds, they should be combined with guitars, really. And Phil was a great guitarist and he looked great as well. He's in the hair hanging down to, you know, we got together and I, I, we'd almost, you know, worked to a brief of like working, which is always a great idea to play some sounds that you want to hear in your favorite club, really. Um, and just take take it on a step, really. So that's what we were aiming for. We thought, well, what would we what would we want to hear on the dance floor, really? So we started um, putting those together. And, and I'd always heard, whenever I was listening to techno, I always thought, why, why isn't we putting guitars on this? But back in those days, it was a very very separate. Scenes were very, you know quite compartmentalised and um, and nobody had really done that. So then we got together and we, we played a couple of shows and then, then Sheep on Drugs said to us, come out on tour. And that was really the start of Cubanate, really. We were crossing over, you know, we were single of the week in like Karan and single of the week in Melody Maker as well. And, um, you know, that, that was a source of some pride that, that we were taking it out there, I think, and pulling in people from different scenes. And uh, yeah, that was what made it great. Lots of different scenes coming together and you felt able to shock a few rock fans by playing them some beats and, and shock a few techno fans by having a long haired guitarist in, you know, in their face. I think the the big thing that really took us out was we went, when we went out on tour with Carcass, and our manager said to us, "There are death, whatever they are, you know, they're a, they're a metal band, and you know, I think you should go out with them." And I kind of agreed to it, thinking, "Yeah, fine, you know, um, whatever." And I didn't really think it through, but of course, when we went out with Carcass, and this was a, a sort of full UK tour, that was playing to a proper metal crowd. And their reaction was extreme, extremely bad on many occasions. You know, it started to get really quite violent and um, really confrontational. We, we played these Scottish gigs, and I mean, Scottish fans are not known to, to, for their their um, for their shyness. And, and uh, you know, the Glasgow gigs were you know pretty violent. And then we played in Northern Ireland, and I was starting to get like death threats and people starting to say they wanted to, you know, kill me and things like that. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, as we, as we got on the ferry back to the UK, I said to Phil, I, 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 I don't know if I could take this, Phil. I mean, this is, this, is, this is hardcore, you know. I mean, I've got people wanting to kill me. And he yeah. said, OK, let's, let's, you know, when we get to the mainland, let's, we can get on a train and get back to London. But then I got off the train and there was like the, the, there was the melody maker and it was, we were, you know, I suddenly thought to myself, no, 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 this is, this is what we should be doing. This is, you know, we were preaching confrontation and, and, um, and I thought, well, this is it, mate. You know, if you want confrontation, then you've got it. And, um, and, and then from then onwards, so we stuck it out and it, it got, you know, it got completely crazy, but of course it kind of made us in a way really. And, um, and so from then onwards, um, you know, things sort of 
took off really and then we did frontline the next year i think from memory and then we came to the states really and that was good old digger international stuck us in a van with um we went across the states with johnny ultraviolence and then the next year 96 when we came back that was um that was the first time we hooked up with the the acu boys I mean, I remember, I remember one time when we were in the back of the van and Dave Bianchi, our sort of, you know, pad basher drummer, got, got bitten by something in the back of the van. I mean, I, I still don't know what it was. He, he just started screaming. He said, you know, something, something's bitten me. Something's bitten my leg. And, and we looked down and sure enough, there was this big black sort of mark on his leg. Something, there's a couple of sort of puncture. I don't know what it was. You know, something had, had bitten him. And we, we, you know, he said, you know, you know, something's in the back of the van. It was all covered in, you know, guitars and, and bags and everything. So we stopped the van and pulled him out the side of the road. And he was clutching his leg. And he, he, he you know, he, he sort of started clutching him. He's saying, you know, please, God's sake, Mike, you know, please take me to a hospital. Please, please take me to a hospital. And I looked at the tour manager and I sort of took him to one side and I said, how much money have we got? He said, I don't know, about 70, 80 bucks. And I said, I'm really sorry, Dave, but, you know, I, I mean, we can't afford to. I mean, he said, but I might die. And I said, I don't know what to say, Dave. I mean, you know, I mean, I've got no, I don't know what to say. We just have to, you know, stick a cold beer on it, you know, have a slug of whiskey and you know, see what happens, basically. <laughs>
When we came to that fourth album, we were off the German label. We'd signed to Wax Tracks then, Wax Tracks TBT. We sort of just crossed over, I'd say. I mean, you know, um, Danny wanted to sign us. I remember, you know, that I just remember talking to Danny when we came over. But I think by that stage, sort of TBT had taken us over. So we were sort of on TBT. By that stage, we felt very much as if the formula, the Cubanate formula, which was sort of, you know, hard techno with guitars on top, had kind of started to be overtaken. Other people had got onto it, and like people like The Prodigy and people like that were, were you know, using that formula. And what had seemed very dangerous and unique a few years beforehand was now starting to be a bit, well, yeah, you and everybody else, mate. So we decided to keep things moving forward and, and change the rhythm end completely and move towards something much more sort of complex using sort of break beats and everything which was a hard sell to an industrial crowd in those days that everyone had you know started to just pick up on on the um, the techno thing at that stage and to then you know advance them on another stage was was tricky that was one thing secondly i mean i think you know frankly we were just sick of each other by that stage i mean we just spent so long together and and it kind of was reaching clearly reaching a point where it, it was hard to see it going further forward and i was sick i mean i was you know i was drinking a lot at that point and i just think you know emotionally it had come to the end of the curve and then there was a the sort of positive thing as well if you want to put it like that which is we'd earned a lot of money bizarrely um because the sony playstation game had taken off and you know it was a bizarre situation really in the one way is the band was in ruins and in another way we just you know I, I mean I just got given a check for sort of you know several hundred thousand dollars and I, and I it was hard to see a way forward really so yeah I mean then Fear Factory offered us a tour Phil didn't want to go out with Fear Factory I, I you know I think he probably thought that I probably wasn't in a fit state to and he, he might have been right so I decided to do it without him and that was the end of it really and then at the end of it I, I just kind of collapsed really so yeah that was that was the end of it so now, 15 years later, I know Jason, every year for the past couple of years, has been wanting to bring you guys back for Cold Waves. What was he able to do this year to get you guys to come back? We've been thinking for a while to do a, a sort of retrospective album release. We're going to put out a, a sort of best of, we're remastering the sort of 15 of the best tracks, and we're going to put that out again because you can't get the stuff online. So so we're going to reissue um, and remaster uh, some of the best tracks. And, and I think we both thought it would be good to do something around an album release to do that. And I just think that we'd also reached a point where, I mean, Phil's got his own project now and I, and, you know, and I was doing other stuff. The time just you know, uh, felt right to at least dip our toe in the water playing live again. And I have to say, I mean, for us, Cold Waves is a bit of an experiment, really, because the last time that I got on a stage was 1999. So it's been a very long time. And so it's really a case of saying, well, look, let's see how it goes. Let's give it our best shot. And if it's fun, then, you know, we might do some more. And if it's not, then then that's fine. But, but it, you know, because it ended on a bit of a down, I, I think that we'd like to um, at least see how it feels again. So you've also more recently been working on your project, MC Lord of the Flies, and you put out a split with Pig, who's also performing at Cold Waves. You want to talk about that project? So Raymond and I uh, shared a studio back when he was recording his last album, which was Pigmata, back in the sort of early noughties. We, I, I'd set up some studios and I was 
this is down in Old Street in London, and, and I was sort of tooling around, you know, managing some people and, and just trying to make another album. And Raymond uh, sort of shared a studio with me while he was making Pigmata, and so that's how come I was working on Pigmata. And then, you know, I, I kind of, you know, quit for a while and went off and just did other things with my life. And then back in, I don't know, 2011, 2012, I, I was hanging around at the Fortress, and, um, and Raymond turned up and said, um, look, I, I want to make another album. And I said, well, when was your last one? And he said, well, the last one was the one you worked on. Back in 2003. And I said, well, come on then, let's, you know, let's get in the studio. And so we, we went in the studio and I, and I, I was sort of kicking his butt. I said, come on, mate, you know, get, you know let's, let's do it. So we, we went back in, we recorded a couple of tracks. And then, um, and then I thought, well, I might as well do some, you know, I mean, how does it feel really? To, I hadn't recorded anything for a long time at that point, really, with the exception of the, the one thing I'd done with Phil. So, um, yeah, I got it together, really. And it sort of sat, sat on the shelves. I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. And then I thought, um, well, look, let's put it out, really. As that's why it came to be the sort of sessions really so we'd only really done the four or five tracks really but I, I didn't want to see it just disappear I, I kind of had a new mentality of look finish something get it out there it doesn't matter what it is just put, finish it put it to bed move on otherwise you'll be hanging around for ages and I think that I think uh, I think both Raymond and I were suffering from that feeling of like you you know we were both used to having a label both used to finishing things it, like in the old days when you went into the studio in, even in the 90s when you went in you'd finish something you, you couldn't go back and and recall it all so you had to finish it you had to say well let's print this sucker because if we come back in three days time take the mix down then it'll be completely different so so work round the clock print it and then you know judge it afterwards and the trouble is with modern technology is you can be noodling around with it for years coming back to it again and again and so it was kind of good to put a bit of pressure on and, and actually finish something and I think it did well it certainly did me a bunch of good so yeah that was that was fun to be working with the old bugger again and um and it kind of got me thinking well I should be making more music again
On this episode, you heard oxyacetylene, industry, and we are crowd. Cubinate can be found at facebook.com slash cubinate. Our opening music is Monster Zero by Accumination. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to the show through iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app with the links found in the show notes. Join us next week as we chat with Heather Gable and Seth Scherr from High. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Days, fallen Chicago musician and sound man Jamie Duffy. Here's Mark again sharing his memories of Jamie. I think it would have been very difficult to do those shows without having Jamie or somebody like him because you know he'd get to a gig and he would be sort of setting everything up and you know sort of organizing the sound guy because often you turn up to shows and you know, you'd never know what to expect it could have been like you know you turn up to a bar somewhere and there'd be some you know drunk dude who didn't know how to operate the PA it wasn't like turning up to sort of you know professional sort of crew of saluting guys in, in you know the, the, you know sometimes it would be organized sometimes it wouldn't sometimes nobody would know where the electricity switch was and so Jamie was just a complete you know nutcase he, he would go around sort of organizing everything setting out all the sound up and everything and, and you know he, he was brilliant to have along in that sense he was a real trooper and a, and a great guy to go on tour with a great guy really really solid dude to have uh, to have around you on tour with that very dry kind of uh, nothing nothing phases his sort of sense of sense of humor and i hadn't seen him for a very long time when he died i have to say i mean i hadn't seen him since that 98 tour but but i have you know n- nothing well i won't say nothing but good memories because as i say it was, a, it was a crazy time but but uh, but nothing but good memories of of, of, of what jamie did for, for us both for uh, cubanate and c-tech